Hello and welcome to Local Voices for Sustainability, the Equal Europe podcast. I'm your co-host, Jacob Brain. In each episode of this podcast, we explore sustainability transformations in our member cities across Europe. Today we begin a special three-part mini-series that brings to life the unique ECLE Action Fund. The ECLE Action Fund is a granting scheme conducted by ECLE Europe with support from Google.org to foster data-driven environmental and climate action at the local level. The ECLE Action Fund 1.0 funded six data-driven projects in four European countries with a grant amount of 2.5 million euros. These projects spanning air quality, sustainable mobility and energy, buildings, and more ran from May 2020 until November 2022. Today, we will be speaking with two of the six projects, Project 3D and Oldham Energy Futures. Project 3D, Data to Decarbonize in a Decade, established a data set that is open source and citywide. This data set delivers carbon reduction initiatives in Birmingham and the United Kingdom. With its range of data on housing, transport, energy, and emissions, it has helped the city deliver not only community-scale carbon reduction initiatives, but also achieve its future green energy goals. In the town of Oldham in the United Kingdom, nonprofit community organization Carbon Co-op conducted a two-year project engaging communities in the development of energy plans. The project, Oldham Energy Futures, developed a new community-based approach for local authorities and energy stakeholders to engage and create energy plans. Now let's dive straight into the interview. Here with me today is Bridget Newberry, Project Manager for Project 3D, Data to Decarbonize in a Decade, based in Birmingham in the United Kingdom. As Project Manager, she focused her work on aspects of open data projects and looking at ways in which data can be used to accelerate decarbonization. Also with me here today is Anika Kelly, Chauver Facilitator and Pilot Projects Lead for the project Oldham Energy Futures, based in Oldham in the United Kingdom. Anika worked on the Oldham Energy Futures project in 2021 as an energy efficient expert, community facilitator, and community pilot development lead. We're pleased to have these special guests here on the show with us today. I extend my warm welcome to the show, Bridget and Anika. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So, to begin with, could you tell our listeners a bit about yourselves and the role you had in the Eclay Action Fund? What expertise did you bring to the table? We can start with you, Bridget. Sure, thank you. So I work at the Centre for Sustainable Energy, which is a charity that supports people and organisations across the UK to tackle the climate emergency and address fuel poverty. I'm part of our local and community empowerment team, where we've got loads of experience working with community organisations of all sizes on climate and in particular on energy initiatives. That's great to hear. And you, Anika? Hi, I work at Carbon Co-op. We're based in Manchester. We sort of do innovative projects around climate, particularly focusing on reducing energy usage of the home for lots of different people and communities in Manchester. In um, Oldham Energy Futures, which was funded by the Eclay Action Fund, I was brought in as a sort of expert around energy efficiency, particularly around workshop development and delivery to sort of support the community to help them understand better issues around energy efficiency in the home. I also was the lead community workshop in Shulver, where we sort of 
went through a whole process together to help the community understand energy issues better and generally as a facilitator. That's great to hear. Thank you for sharing. Could you tell us how the ECLE Action Fund and your projects are helping to promote data-driven environmental and climate action at the local level in your cities of Birmingham and Oldham? I, I jump in, sure. So our project in Birmingham, the, um, the 3D project, which stands for Data Decarbonize in a Decade, as you explained, we started off by developing a data hub to actually hold together a load of different data sets in one place all specific to Birmingham and all relevant to sustainability, but all sort of different aspects of sustainability. Um, We ran a series of workshops and some training on how to use the data hub, but more particularly through the project, we worked with Birmingham City Council and with a group of local community organisations to help them to use that data and shape their initiatives and do things more effectively. So with Birmingham City Council, we were looking at citywide application of data and we looked at how data could be used across the city to improve the local plan, to help with solar PV rollout and with targeting funding for retrofit programmes and some other bits, but those were the main areas. And in terms of supporting local community initiatives, we worked with seven different projects who were using data to improve their work, and that covered loads of different areas. So solar PV, retrofit, cycling, car sharing, tree planting, sustainability action plans, and also engaging faith communities across the city. So lo- loads of really interesting stuff there on just different ways of using data in a local space. That's great. And you, Anika? The ECLE Action Fund helped us develop what we call the CLEP approach, which is the community-led energy planning. We were really interested in how do local people who aren't aren't typically engaged in the energy transition really have a sort of part to play in understanding and making decisions around how to improve sort of power, heat and transport systems that serve them for the energy transition, but also changes that also benefit them as a neighbourhood. So to do this, we worked with two often less engaged communities, which is a term I prefer to use than marginalised because I think it's more empowering, more realistic that people are often not engaged with as opposed to marginalised. Work with those communities and work with them in depth in terms of exploring the energy transition. That's where the data aspect really helped us because, in fact, it was someone from CSE, Bridget's organisation, that helped us develop our data dashboard that we could then use to create our workshop programming and also the communities could use to then understand the issue and create their own plans and pilots their solutions to the energy crisis and creating a just energy transition. I like the fact that someone from CSE, Bridget's organization, helped you build your data dashboard. I think this cross-collaboration is really super to see. Let me turn to Bridget for this next question. So Bridget, Birmingham is known for having an ambitious climate goal to become net zero carbon by 2030. What made you want to connect and interact more with a specific goal set by the city? Yeah, good question. So um, Birmingham declared their climate emergency in 2019 and set up a Route to Zero task force, which was a really interesting approach to kind of taking forward action in this area. They started to put together a Route to Zero action plan, which was on our radar. We were really interested to see if we could support the plan. It's also got a really ambitious and exciting travel plan and was in the process of updating its local plan. Added to all that, Birmingham City Council is massive. It's the largest council area in the UK. It's got a population of more than a million people and it covers 69 wards altogether. 
So it's just a really great place to get things moving. And the council officers were really open to our support. So we were really keen to see if we could work collaboratively with them. So Anika, Oldham has also defined specific climate and sustainability energy goals. How has your project contributed to these city goals? So yeah, actually it's those goals that the Oldham set that made us choose Oldham to work with actually. They're really progressive in their policy around the climate transition. I think they're the first council in the UK to create a Green New Deal strategy. And like Birmingham, they're aiming to be net zero by 2030 across the borough. We really sort of value that kind of progressive policy output from the local council. So we involved them through the project, through the development of the CLEP, the Community-Led Energy Planning. They were a key stakeholder. They attended project meetings and they were, we kind of kept them on the inside as we developed the plans. And those plans have now been developed with the council. And the council were so sort of enthusiastic about this that they've now asked us to developed our methodology further to engage more communities around Oldham and looking at how we can upscale this across the borough and engage with the planning teams in the council to integrate this with their planning policy and their local plan. So it it was sort of an initial pilot to see how this works. And it's been great that we've got really positive feedback and the ability to work further with the council to see how this can integrate more directly with how the council works, which I think is very exciting. It is really exciting that these cities are so progressive with their net zero carbon goals as well. Switching back to you, Bridget, to my understanding, your project was heavily reliant on data and other data-driven components. You established an open source citywide energy data set to deliver carbon reduction initiatives known as the 3D Data Hub. Could you please explain to us which data sources you used to build this 3D Data Hub? Yeah, sure. This is interesting because the hub includes data from different sources, but also different formats and different kind of topics, different data sets. So in terms of the topics, what's actually covered, there's loads of different stuff on like electricity and gas consumption data, um, EPC data, so energy performance certificates, which show you what ratings homes have been given and what recommended improvements are made. There's data of gas, so the postcodes which are not connected to the gas network, grid capacity data, EV charge point locations. So you can see those are like very obviously energy environment related, but then also slightly more broadly, things like conservation areas, air pollution data, fuel poverty statistics, even stuff like broadband speed, which gives you an indicator of like digital inclusion and access to health services. The eFood Desert Index, I didn't know that existed before this project, and indices of multiple deprivation. So loads of different stuff that together kind of gives you a picture of what might be needed and what sorts of things work. And in terms of where that data comes from, um, the sources, most of it is open data. So quite a lot from the data.gov.uk portal. And there was also some aggregated data where we pulled together different data sets. So, for example, we combined fuel poverty data with EPC data to help look at targeting retrofit measures. Some of it was modelled by the, the CSE team who work with data. So things like solar potential and estimated EPCs where there were gaps in the data set. Some of it was bought or licensed. So it, it includes some ordnance survey and LIDAR mosaic data that's been combined. 
And then a couple of things that are like from tools, like our carbon footprinting tools. So a whole range of different sources, but all focused on Birmingham to help with driving projects. The other thing that was interesting was that process of getting the raw data, but then cleaning it up and making it usable and more user-friendly, making it available in different formats that wouldn't break your computer when you downloaded it. Somewhere we made it human-friendly data, so we turned it into a picture or a graph or a, you know something that would be more lendable to people who are not used to looking at massive spreadsheets and pulling data out from slightly incomprehensible things. Yeah, it's interesting. So there was this big focus on combining this data and making it very accessible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and with this data hub, you identified community projects and launched a subgrant worth roughly £100,000 through an open call application for community projects. Could you explain to us the process by which this data was used to help identify the successful projects you selected for community grants? Well, yes and no. Um, so we, we were looking for projects that were community-led and that would be using data and that could had potential to replicate elsewhere and show different ways in which data could be used. And on the topic of community, I would like to hear from Anika again. Anika, your project developed energy roadmaps together with communities in two specific neighborhoods, Westwood and Shova. What are the characteristics of the neighborhoods that were selected? And why were these neighborhoods chosen? Our first point was to pick neighborhoods that are not the usual suspects involved in energy transition work. We looked at class and race indicators of areas where there was sort of lower income and also areas where there was a higher portion of ethnic minorities who lived in those areas. We kind of came upon Westwood and Shelver. And as an organization and not a municipality, you were acting as a sort of third party communicating directly with residents and citizens. Yeah. Could you elaborate on the process you implemented to engage these communities and districts? Yeah, yeah. I guess we really saw that engagement was a really important aspect of this program. So our only full-time worker, in fact, was our resident engagement worker. And she did a really good job of working with the sort of local community hubs to establish. And that actually came into picking those two neighborhoods as well, actually, areas where there were sort of quite solid community hubs already existing. So she worked with those community hubs. They recruited 12 champions from each neighborhood. And then we worked with those champions over a six or might have even been a seven month period doing sort of 10 full day workshops with people. And alongside that, we created the data dashboard for the communities to access. And also it was integrated into the workshop program. And I think a big part of that sort of engagement with communities and a big sort of um, value for us was respecting them as local experts. They know better than us what works in their community. The sort of a lot of the ways that we facilitated those workshops was with that in mind. It wasn't top down as much as possible. We sort of brought in our expert knowledge, but we also respected their expert knowledge and allowed that sort of more equal knowledge transfer between us. And they also fed into the development of the data dashboard in terms of doing mapping work of their understanding of their neighborhoods and then feeding that back into our data dashboard that they could then access. So at the end of the workshop program, when they'd created their local energy plans, we then supported them because we wanted there to be a legacy to the project. So we supported them for a further six months to pilot their own projects, their own responses to the energy transition, 
to sort of support that, to not just be here, council, here's our local energy plan, but also this is what we're doing. And we also worked closely with stakeholders and networked those communities with key local stakeholders, including the council. Let's switch up the topic a little. The world has obviously faced some notable challenges and changes in the past few years in the form of COVID-19, the war in Ukraine, an increasing climate emergency, economic challenges, the list goes on. These challenges and changes might have influenced your projects or not at all. Could you describe for us some of the biggest takeaways and challenges you experienced within your projects? Wow, yeah, it was a challenging time when we were working on this project. I think the first year of the project, we didn't actually get to Birmingham. We're based in Bristol. So it just shows how amazing it is with technology that you can have all this stuff happening and not even physically be in a place. But then that does take away from the value of face-to-face meetings and being out there. So for that reason, in particular, working through community organisations who were there on the ground, engaging with people and doing stuff, you know, as with Oldham, that community element is just so crucial. So that was a challenge, but I think that's also a massive learning point and an achievement, that aspect of working with local community organisations who are embedded in their areas, they've got local knowledge and expertise, they can get that local buy-in and bring people along. And also, this sounds a bit mean in a way, but you know, a little goes a long way when you're working in the community sector. There's lots of voluntary effort and input, which is just so crucial and really, you know, engaging individuals in a, in a local space. In terms of other learnings from the project, again, it's a two sides of the coin. So data, we definitely showed and learned that you can do a lot with data. We also, I think it's fair to say, show, can show that data is not the driver on its own. It doesn't make things happen. You've got to have those people driving it forwards. But where you can use it, there's lots of stuff around strategy and and shifting behaviours and supply chains, finance, funding, decision making, that stuff you've got to have there. But you can bring data along to make sure you get the biggest impact. So, you know, finding the best areas to roll out an activity and finding the best target audiences to take something up looking at the best opportunities for highest carbon savings and then deciding how to prioritise what you do based on that. And I think that's just got huge value. So I think our two biggest learnings are using data to get the biggest impact and working with communities, which is probably a good lead into Oldham. (laughs) Yeah, so in terms of challenges during the project, pandemic certainly had an impact. The sessions happened in person and it was a decision that we felt that was essential for the project to work. And so there was a lot of staff time and consideration into how to do that in a way that was safe, which was particularly challenging towards the end of the community workshops because it was winter at that time. And, you know, having the windows and doors opened to require good ventilation, etc. was quite challenging, especially for some of the elderly people within the group. That was hard, but we did manage everyone got there was a that was taken from the community in terms of being able to meet physically every month to work on the the topic together one of the challenges that weren't really to do with that but with more to do with us was our ambition we wanted to cover a lot of ground in these workshops and therefore like the program timing and the development of the workshops we really worked hard (laughs) during the project and uh yeah we were all pretty tired at the end of the workshop program there was a bit of a challenge around renewables. I mean, it was amazing to get the data on rooftop solar and understand 
where the opportunities were for the community there. But I think there's a context within the UK at the moment that small scale projects around solar aren't really viable anymore. So only really large scale ones are. And one of the takeaways has been is that we identified a really exciting potential and in the local hospital for rooftop solar, which we're still pursuing at the moment. But actually, it was really challenging for sort of the community groups to engage with such a large and technical project with quite a large scale sort of landowner, like a local hospital. Another takeaway is that working with people who hadn't really engaged with energy transition work before, I remember halfway through, I think it might be like workshop five, when we had a bit of a reflection on how everyone was given the previous four workshops. And people were really impacted and they were really saying, well, I'm starting to pay attention to the news more around climate. You know, I used to just ignore that stuff, but now I know what they're talking about. And people really do care. And if you give them the chance to understand what's going on, they do engage. We sort of know that, but it was great to actually see that in action. And also that the communities know better than we do what works for them. So at one of the groups, an active travel group came out and actually they wanted to hold monthly walks. Before the project, I might have thought, oh, a monthly walk, well, it's it's an outcome, but not amazing. But actually, it's really worked for that community. They've kind of, the groups really recruited lots of people, but it's also been a way to engage their local councillors and get extra funding for some of the work that they want to do. So it's been quite an effective tool. And actually, you can't prescribe this stuff. People know best what works for their communities. The fact that the pilots are continuing in both test neighbourhoods is a real testament to the project, I think. My last takeaway is that this kind of work, it was very well resourced and better resourced than other community engagement projects I've seen or been involved in before, which I think is a very good thing. And I can see other people seeing that as a challenge because they can say that, well, we just don't have the money to engage people to the level that you did. And I understand that. However, if we're really serious about climate justice and communities being a central part of the energy transition, I think this work should be well resourced. So that's a sort of challenge and a takeaway at the same time, if you see what I mean. It was most definitely a challenging and strange time for us all. But it's great to hear about these visible and tangible impacts that your projects have had on these communities during this time. And you both have accomplished great impact with your environmental initiatives in your respective cities through the Equally Action Fund. What are the core positive environmental and climate impacts of your projects? So I think um, reinforcing that community aspect, I think one of the biggest things was just being able to lend support to some really good local projects. And it's true, we do need to resource this stuff better. You know, it's all very well saying that there's a lot of voluntary effort that goes in, but it does need resourcing so it doesn't burn out. So I think being able to lend some support there and actually provide funding to help stuff happen was really valuable. There was lots of work, obviously, that led to reduced carbon emissions across the city. But I think more important than that was building the framework for some more to happen in the future. I think really great stuff, both on the stuff you can count, the numbers of events and the amount of carbon reduced and the amount of renewable electricity generation. But the getting people engaged and working at community level and joining up different partners working with the council that was all really big I think in terms of achievements. Yeah so I think the main thing that came out of the project was building local knowledge and capacity to really engage in this kind of action. As I mentioned before the kind of pilot projects still ongoing the uh, active travel group in Shelva in Westwood there's a real sort of desire 
they already do support for their local community there, but they really wanted to actually start doing energy advice support. So they're still working on upping their capacity and ability to do that well, sort of home visits to explain how to use less heat in their homes and things like that. And also the solar project I mentioned at the hospital. So the initial two years of the Eclat Action Fund have concluded. Our listeners would love to hear more about what's next. So I have a few questions lined up here about your future plans. First off, can you tell us how your community projects have progressed following the conclusion of the Eclat Action Fund? All the projects that we worked with are still going, which is really brilliant. Not probably to quite the same level for all of them, because obviously they're either without funding or using different funding now. The 69 Ward Cycling Project has gone from strength to strength. The Footsteps Project, which was the faith groups, they're still keeping on going, working with faith buildings to roll out energy efficiency improvements. And also they're looking at growing a network of energy champions if they can find a way to make that work. So lots, lots still going on. We're also continuing to work with Birmingham City Council. And actually, at the moment, we're planning some more workshops to engage more of the council staff on how to engage the residents of Birmingham with the climate emergency and how to take action. And how about in Oldham? In Shelfa, there's been this active travel group that are still meeting every fortnight. They kind of downplay this, but I think it's pretty great. They won some money from the local council to improve walking routes in the area and drop curbs so that there's more access for people using wheelchairs and prams, which I think is brilliant. And in Westwood, they're still doing the weekly drop-ins um, where they talk about cost of living crisis and, and energy within that. Again, they're really seeking to upscale their services and get some funding in actually to support them to do that. So I'm working with them again to do a bit of work around that. I like your mention of these activities that are still ongoing. I find them really creative and fun. Up next, what happened with the data of your projects? Is it still available or publicly accessible? The Speedy Data Hub is still live and online. It's been taken on now by the University of Birmingham, which is really nice because then it becomes more local and there might be more opportunities for it to be used in other projects and other applications. It's all there and it's given us more ideas as well about how we can use data in the future to support local projects and activities. Yep, that data is still publicly available on the Old Energies Futures website. Uh, I think there are plans to integrate this into a wider data hub of Oldham over the next couple of years and for the data to inform the development of the Oldham Green New Deal delivery partnership, which is a sort of upcoming thing. So yeah, it's still there. Hopefully it will develop into something that's more widely accessible. Yeah, I do encourage our listeners to visit the Eclay Europe website to check out this data for yourselves. Now, is there room for growth or expansion on your projects this year? Gosh, absolutely. I think all of the projects that we, or the local projects we worked on, can carry on delivering and can expand. And we also, when we looked at potential for replication, pretty much all of them could also be replicated elsewhere, which is really exciting. You know, there's tons of room for growth. Similarly, with the work we did with the council, that's all being taken forwards. And I'm really excited about a scheme that's being developed at the moment around solar PV and encouraging more take-up of solar panels for householders. All of it can carry on continuing and growing, definitely. So yeah, we're actually working with Eclate to put in an application to the TAP programme 
around the hospital renewables project to see if we can really get that up and running and then have some more financial input back into the community on an ongoing basis, which would be excellent. And lastly, have these projects led to something bigger and more exciting? That's a difficult question. I think what we've done shows that there's real potential to do more of this stuff. One thing that is really exciting is the solar PV data that we did with Birmingham. We've used that approach, the modelling approach, and built on that with some other funding. So we're now able to roll out an open access solar PV sort of tool, which is impartial, that anybody can look up their house and see whether their their house or building, whether their rooftop has got potential. So we've got a new tool called the Solar Wizard. So certainly that's a bit bigger and more exciting, and that builds on the Ickley Action Fund work in Birmingham. So that's great. I mean, I think the main exciting thing is this work with Oldham to see how they we could sort of develop the CLEP methodology and more concretely bring community engagement into the way that the council develops its action planning, which the council are really serious about. So I think that's that's the next exciting development of this project. Great. So this brings us to the lightning round of our conversation, also known as hot takes. It works like this. I will ask you a question or pose a statement to you, and I'm looking for a brief, instinctual response. We've got six of the leads lined up for you today. Are you ready? Yep. Go for it. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know where my mind is right now, but anyway. Data is an essential tool necessary for effective environmental and climate action. True or false? True. Mm, False. (laughs) Why false? I think that having the people there and funding and um, supply chains and uh, strategy lead, that's the essential stuff. And I think data can improve any projects and help with targeting and making them more effective. But I think you can do stuff without having data. In what ways did your relationship with the communities you engaged with change over the course of your projects? I think um, it was just really great building those relationships, just working with individual people, finding out more about the local initiatives and how we could support those, and the enthusiasm and commitment and drive of all the individuals was just brilliant. It was really good for me to experience how trust was built comparing our first workshop in the community to some of the latter ones we really got to know each other they learned to trust us more to the point where they gave us some really good and critical feedback in terms of how we were facilitating which I really welcomed and we could then improve things I thought that trust was brilliant and also I think the same as Bridget their engagement in the issues and in the project and the workshops which then has led them to still be on the pilots is just really great to see especially people who just would not have engaged with any of this kind of stuff before at all. Agreed. What is something that surprised you about being part of your projects? Yes, for me, it is possible to engage with people who aren't interested in environmental issues in a really deep way to a point where they become real advocates and impassioned. I agree with that totally. And I would say also just the level of commitment and the willingness to go one step more has really been yeah it's not a surprise because I know that that stuff happens but it's still surprising that it does (laughs) the next one is fill in the blank one thing I learned within the scope of my work during the pandemic is 
Oh, about how many different formats there are for a single bit of data. <laughs> that is possible to do workshops with a mask on. <laughs> Fair enough. And the last one, what would you like to learn from the new Eclay Action Fund projects starting this year? Oh, more tips for just moving things forward at speed. I'd be interested in how people make data engaging. We worked on that, but it's not necessarily easy, and I'd be interested in how other people do that. I'll get back to you on those questions and answers next year. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that's it. We've done it. That brings us to the end of our conversation. Bridget and Anika, thank you so much for joining us on the show. You've really given us valuable insight into the growing data-driven environmental and climate action field. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having us. To learn more about the Eclay Action Fund, visit our website at eclay-europe.org. We will be releasing the second part of this miniseries soon with a focus on air quality, so stay tuned. And as always, thank you for joining us here and see you again next time.